Welcome back to another episode of the Accord Research Alliance podcast. My name is Nathan Maloney, one of the co-hosts of the podcast. And today we have a special episode. We are going to be replaying one of the keynote speeches from our intensive last year in 2019 from Dr. Olivia Wilkinson. Olivia is the Director of Research at the Joint Learning Initiative on Faith and Local Communities. And last year she came and presented about uh, the topic of what kind of evidence should we be gathering on the role of faith. So many of us found that helpful, so we wanted to, to share it today for those of you who weren't there uh, to have a chance to listen to it. And we're doing that as a way to also promote this year's upcoming research intensive, which is going to look a little bit different due to COVID-19. And so we want to give a few details of what that would look like and how you can participate uh, from where you are. So for more on that, I've asked Rebecca Mincer, one of our steering committee members, to help give a few more details of how you can get involved this year. We're excited about this year's sixth annual Accord Research Alliance Intensive. As we have shifted to an online virtual format, we are so excited about the opportunity to increase accessibility of this learning experience to a global audience. This year, our focus is on cultivating a Christ-centered, data-informed, and responsive organization, listening in your m practice. The intensive will take place next week, October 5th through October 9th. We'll be focusing on laying a foundation for listening as a discipline, discussing foundational concepts for your listening practice. We'll be talking about listening first during COVID-19, why listening is now more important than ever. We're talking about listening to community stakeholders, exploring equity and listening, and listening at your organization, creating a responsive ME practice. We will have two global Zoom calls, one on Monday, October 5th, and one on Friday, October 9th. There are two options for each day to ensure that all of our global participants are able to join us. The rest of our content will be online in Brightspace, which is a learning management system. We have videos posted, discussion guides, and are building out an optional assignment to bring together all of the content. We hope you'll join us. Please be sure to register and spread the word. Registration closes this Thursday, and you can find the link to register in the show notes for this podcast on the Accord Research Alliance LinkedIn group or any previous emails in the last few weeks from the Accord Research Alliance or Accord Network. We hope to see you there. Great. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca, and uh, hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, and for those of you that were there in person, like myself, this is also a great chance to dive back in and reconsider uh, many of these ideas that Olivia has presented to us. Yes, thank you very much, Nathan. Um, and. Um that introduction really summed up a lot of what I was going to say, so I won't go into too much um, additional details um, about the JLI, um, but I will just let you know that if you um, want to look at our website, you can see there at the bottom, jliflc.com, 
Um, we are working on a new hub around climate and faith, if that's something that's of interest to you. And there's a webinar series up there, um, four webinars on that topic. Um, so um, please have a look and you'll find out a little bit more about what we're doing. Um, the um, flyers as well, um, I apologize that I brought one of, one of the wrong printouts, so it's not the best quality, but um, you'll get the message from it hopefully. Um, and um, you can, there's not enough for everyone as well, but um, again, all the information is up on the website. Um, as Nathan said, my background is in sociology. Um, I'm mainly a qualitative researcher from my own research. Um, but as I've been involved now in the JLI for a number of years, broadening out and looking at this whole field of what, um, um, what's the current state of the evidence in religion and development from organizations like your own and other organizations all over the world, the JLI is um, a convening um, from many different faiths, many different backgrounds. Um, we exist mainly virtually so that people from anywhere in the world can join. Um, it's also free to join, I would add. Um, so please um, become a member if you're not already. Um, I've also just got a quick slide um, to give you a background of some of the members there. Um, and um, Nathan did mention that particularly one of our interests is on the role of local faith actors. It's in the name of our organization, the Joint Learning Initiative on Faith and Local Communities. Um, and so while we are convening with a lot of the international faith-based organizations, one of our key areas we're looking at is how do we work with local church partners as well. Um, the background to this presentation comes from Jean's presentation last year. Jean is the JLI president and the founder of JLI. Um, so many of you will have seen that presentation last year. And I'm not going to um, go over um, too much of what she said. The, the presentation is in, in the podcast as well. So um, if you want to look at the um, Accord podcast, you can find out more there. Um, but there's a little bit of a presentation about what JLI is doing, working with UN agencies and those type of organizations that haven't thought of faith before, really. Or maybe they work with you know, one or two faith actors and they feel, therefore, that you know, they're covered. They're, that in terms of faith, it's those partnerships that are dealing with um, everything that is the local church or any other local religious institution. So I'm actually quite used to speaking to an audience that's um, a little bit more skeptical about the role of faith, where I'm making the case for the role of faith. Um, and so it's actually quite refreshing and has challenged me a little bit to think about um, how I should present to you an audience <laughs> that's really very different from, say, um, some of the groups within the UN agencies or others, um, where it's a, quite a different place from where they're starting. Um, I also did a webinar for Accord in July, I believe, um, and um, I'm sure all of you will have listened to it, so I won't need to go over any of that, but for those that haven't um, listened to it, it is up online as well if you want to listen to it. Um, but as a quick recap, we were looking at the current state of the evidence in religion and development research. Um, and so we decided that you know, there are a growing number of publications in this area. It's an academic research field. It's come about, say, in the last 20 years and is really flourishing now in many ways. Um, but there's also a need for more and different types of research. And then research as well highlighting role of, the role of local faith actors. So for a long time, you know, there was a lot of debate, say, on how do we define faith-based organizations and the international faith-based organizations. And that took up our attention for a bit of time. But now we're moving on and looking elsewhere, too. 
Um, and the rest of the presentation I want to set up basically as a continuation from that webinar. So it's not a prerequisite that you have to have seen the webinar, but I previously spoke about the current state of the research and what I want to do in this presentation is be a little bit forward thinking and set a, um, a more of a research agenda piece for how we might move forward. So the things that have shifted help us see how we might move forward. Um, and the um, previous webinar helped us establish a number of gaps and how those gaps have um, been filled in various ways, but also how we need to rethink what we're doing um, at the moment in terms of evidence on religion and development. Um, and this, this slide actually brings up some of the final points I made in that webinar. Um, but just to continue on from that, the question now is how to, not just whether we do research or evidence, um, but how to do that better. Um, not just the question of um, what is the added value of faith in development, which did take up our time for, that was the beginning of JLI in many ways. We were just thinking about can we prove that there is worth of even this question um, of faith and development. Um, and instead, we're now thinking about can we show evidence of impact? How can we translate this evidence into scalable change? So we've moved on from the, the basic to the more advanced, hopefully, or maybe just the intermediate level. Um, and then um, we have the sub-discipline. So in academia, there's much more interest. But you know, as a sub-discipline, we're coming from various different angles. So um, in academia, there's lots of people say that are coming from economics or maybe um, you know development studies and thinking around this question of religion and development. And the question now is, how do we bring people together and actually have like a cohesive whole where there's um, a good debate and we're not just broken into all our different disciplines? Um, but overall, we can see um, that within the current evidence that we have, and JLI's work is to gather, to convene, to bring together the state of the evidence and see what it looks like overall. In terms of the current state of the evidence that we have, I think there's still overall, um, it's driven by small scale and anecdotal examples, um, a lack of monitoring and evaluation with local church partners and the um, ability to work across different international, national and local levels in the m and &E. um, Evidence of long-term impact is still weak with the frequent assumption of causality, um, taking on from some of what Michael spoke about earlier. Um, the research agenda is driven by the Global North um, and a lot of the research in religion and development still focuses on sub-Saharan Africa. So geographically, we don't have a very good representation um, of um, um, faiths and um, different geographies as well. So that's an overall picture. Now, of course, those are some general comments. It's a bit too reductive to make those general comments. There are good examples that um, break from those comments as well. Um, but I wanted to provide a few key points that you could kind of latch on to as what I see as the weaknesses of the current state of religion and development research. Um, we did this report last year, and this was um, primarily written by um, Lisa LaRue at Stellenbosch University. So I just want to make sure that she's got her name up there, and she's duly credited for this. Um, it was specifically in um, um, gender-based violence, actually. Um, but I thought that it was very useful because she summarized um, her 
the question to her in this report that we were working on with her was, um, can you make some recommendations for a strategic research agenda on um, religion, development, and gender-based violence? And overall, her recommendations, as she is an expert in this field of gender, religion, and development, um, she felt that there's still a need to make a case for a research at a basic level, and I know we have organizations in the room that are at different stages of that journey in terms of making the case to the rest of the organization. Um, support and promote good research, promote collaborative partnerships through research, and develop a focused research agenda that is informed by current gaps. So in terms of making a case for research, um, that is still an ongoing push in some environments, um, but sp supporting and promoting good research is not just about the quantity of the evidence, which we might feel is our push sometimes and what people want from us, but it's about the quality of the evidence, of course. And then building partnerships through research um, as part of the ways that we, the um, understanding that the end research result, that's, that's um, the end, the, the means to the end of partnerships is just as valuable, that's what I mean to say. Um, but I want to go in a little bit more depth to the final point of this, develop a focused research agenda that is informed by current gaps. So one of the things that um, we were looking at is in this area is developing a monitoring and evaluation framework for um, religions and gender-based violence across the board. And of course, there's also been this question of can we develop a monitoring and evaluation framework for religion and development in general? And this is something that many of you have been thinking about over the years. And there's still a call for that. You know, organizations come to us in the JLI and ask, can we develop a monitoring and evaluation framework that's a, a standard um, we've been hesitant about that in many ways. We see that there's a lot of uh, really useful work happening within your own organizations. Um, and again, the whole problem for us is that it's religions, plural, and development. Let's not even talk about different denominations, different diversities within that mix. And so we really don't feel that necessarily there's a good place to start off where overall we can make an ME framework for religions and development. However, that's not to say that there isn't productive conversations to happen within and around this. So um, the, other, the, the next point within how we can develop a focused research agenda is prioritizing um, evaluations on this work, so including the faith element in your evaluations, and then sharing them, and not just sharing them, but more importantly, reporting on your methodology. So quite often we've found um, a frustration when we're trying to gather the research on religion um, and development in that there is, um, there is um, results reported, but we don't know the methodology to get to those results, so we can't really judge what the quality of that um, research was. Um, and then also that a lot of the time, um, you know, we've had, there's um, of course a hesitancy um, to share evaluations, and you know, that's another topic of conversation around knowledge sharing. Um, but that within spaces like this, where we have um, a relative amount of shared trust, and again, this is what we try and create within the JLI, that there might be this place to discuss um, what went wrong sometimes, what went right, and be able to move forward with ideas of the good practices. Um, 
Research in underserved areas is another area that I think we um, would want to put forward. So I said before that it was um, sub-Saharan Africa that's overrepresented in the research at the moment, but at the same time we know that that's not overall the case, that there are some areas that are um, really over-reported and some areas that are really under-reported um, in sub-Saharan Africa too. And so the question is, is shifting from the over-reporting um, and the research for that we see in some areas um, and research fatigue has been a real problem for some of the actors that we work with normally and we see that they've been um, um, used and abused by some extent um, within, um, within different people's requirements for their research and I will get onto that in a little bit as well. Another area is to um, link with the um, researchers who are not faith-based but are doing, for example, the recommendation in this case around gender was all the quantitative research that's been going on around measuring um, violence against women and girls. So that's a huge area of research and the question is how can we reach out to those other areas of research and say this is what we know additionally about this element of faith that you are missing so far and is going to be important for your research and is an oversight in your research. Um, Large-scale collaborative research bids is another area that she recommends for experimental research. So one of the things that we um, aim to do in the JLI is help bring together consortia that can go in for these type of research bids. We recognize that a lot of the time it's about making those relationships um, and it's not available to everyone to go in for a massive um, piece of research, but within a consortium that might be possible. Um, and then linking research into upcoming policy processes. So that's the research communications bit. So overall, this leads me to three main areas that we need to look at in terms of what kind of evidence um, in, um, on the role of faith and in religion and development research. Um, and so this boils down to diversifying methods, topics, and areas, and people. Um, localizing evidence, um, and um, localizing is obviously a little bit of a buzzword, but I will break that down a bit more, and then communicating evidence. Um, and I think those three come together as the um, trajectories that we need to look at overall. Um, okay, so um, diversifying, diversifying methods, topics, and areas. Um, the, um, the keynote we've already had today from Michael um, and the rest of the keynotes today will touch on different methods of measuring the nuances and a little bit more about how we think of those methods, the principles behind those um, methods. Um, I'm not going to list a, a range of different methods of, um, to demonstrate the diversity. Um, I actually recommend, um, if you've not seen it already, the m &E Universe website that's just been launched from Intrac. Um, I, it, it's quite small there, it's intrac.org forward slash universe. Um, that is not faith-based, but um, it's very good at summarizing many of the ideas that I would have listed otherwise, so I'm not going to do it. You can see it on the website. Um, but um, the more in interesting question for us, I think, is of course, how can generic methods be adapted to the specific question of religion and development too? Um, hence the development of spiritual metrics, um, but also the more standard ways in which we adapt interviews or focus groups or any number of other regularly used methods to also ask about the role of religious belief and practices in development. Um, 
Of course, there is a drive to show evidence of impact within um, the development community overall or sector. Um, um, with counterfactuals across multiple sites, and this is what we, what um, Michael was hinting about before, about the, the, the problems with that. Um, but what I want to bring forward is that, um, <laughs> as leading on, I hope, hopefully from what Michael was saying, um, is that we should be thinking about not the quantitative versus qualitative divide, but the mixed methods approach. Like, we have an answer to the middle ground, um, and that is about diversifying our methods. So if we found that for a long time we've mainly been relying on one type of um, um, method for, or, you know, a, a, a cluster of methods for our, um, um, our research and learning, that we open ourselves up to new and various different types of methods, um, and make sure that we are bringing forward a mixed methods approach overall, um, so that we're not, we don't get stuck in the binary of the qualitative versus quantitative. Um, even though um, a lot of the research that we see is still small scale and qualitative, and I don't want to d dismiss that, um, because it is very necessary to have in-depth studies um, of one area um, and the way that the, their religious <coughs> beliefs and practice, practices have influenced their um, ideas of development, that's deeply important. Um, what we need is for those smaller scale studies to be brought into conversation with each other. And again, this is something that we're trying to do in JLI, but also in platforms like um, the Research Alliance here, that by sharing these smaller scale studies, we can start to see what's um, coming up to the top in terms of the commonalities and the differences. Um, and in the way that we've um, built our learning hubs in the JLI around certain thematic areas, we've been able to see, for example, that um, in um, work on religion and refugees and forced migration, these are some of the areas that particularly come out again and again and again. Um, and so we've got the weight of various different studies coming together, um, rather than, um, you know, the problem with a lot of academia is that people stay with their one specific area for, for years and never really talk to other people. Um, so we don't want to dismiss the smaller scale and qualitative, it's just how we make that part of the broader conversation about religion and development research in general. Um, so we've already noted as well that there are many topics and people that remain under-researched. Um, so while religion and development research in academia as a discipline is a couple of decades old in its current form, um, we still see, for example, that religion and humanitarianism, which is um, the emergency response specific area, is an area that's really underdeveloped in terms of research. And there are many others. That's just the one that I'm particularly interested in, hence why I bring it up. Um, but we know um, we're always having a lot of people coming forward and asking us within the JLI to focus on new and different areas where there's a real um, need for research. So for example, a new area, say, is everything around empowered worldview or something like that, where can we bring together a new learning hub where people can focus on um, what they know already and the fact that we have little bits of research from different organizations coming together but not the overall picture of what that looks like. Um, so again, it's kind of a call for um, collaboration and sharing of your research, um, but also understanding um, where we are um, under-reporting on certain topics and over-reporting on other topics. Um, the next area is localizing evidence. Um, 
And I know that many of you have dealt with some of these tensions that um, I've listed. So um, we've already heard, for example, about the drive to find causality, um, which can be sometimes in tension with the need um, to work with partners that don't necessarily see the value in doing the RCT, um, etc. The qualitative versus quantitative, which I've set up as the storytellers versus the number counters. Um, and then, of course, US-based, donor-based um, research needs and research demands, um, and then country-specific and local research needs. Um, and then also the faith-based versus the secular. Um, and I've set these up as tensions. Um, and I know that a lot of people may recognize some of this. The dif difficulties of working um, with local church partners can include a reluctance to learn or, or to see the value, the, the fact that that challenges existing power structures, so the awkwardness in learning. Um, the fact that many of the things that we want to learn about are deeply sensitive in certain environments. So the questions we may ask are actually um, more harmful than um, the good that they could possibly do by showing the research results. The research fatigue problem that I've already um, brought up, that some areas and some organizations, you know, there are some local church partners that we, you know, are tapped all the time to do um, research projects and some that have never been involved because the fact that they've done it before, you see that they have the, you know, research capacity to do that and then they become the go-to for everything else. Um, and then the balance between um, um, donor needs and what is meaningful to local churches. And the question is, what if these were not tensions at all? Um, I feel like we've had, um, to a certain extent, um, a lot of talk about how to build rigorous approaches. Um, and the fact that we've spent a lot of time thinking about um, RCTs, for example, um, the, um, um, the specific questions about how to measure things. And although those have been important conversations, when we get too sidelined, you know, too um, one track focus on those kind of conversations, it all starts to sound very extractive, right? Like we, we're just um, interested in how to extract the data rather than the meaning um, of what that data, you know, what that data might mean to people and what the results can mean to people. Um, and then on the other side, we also have a lot of the conversation about how, how we should be um, localizing um, in the humanitarian sector in general and I think faith-based organizations have done that for years right everyone's working with the local church partners and we always want to make sure that we're listening to and working with um, local church partners um, and that means that you kind of set up a little bit of a tension between um, our intentions our best intentions um, to work with um, um, how we should work with local churches and then the intentions of what we need to show evidence of impact. Um, and I find it in exciting instead when um, I hear about a piece of research that demonstrates the middle ground where there's been kind of a compromise reach between these two, um, um, these pushes and pulls that we have. Um, now, sometimes, of course, there is no tension at all. Um, you have um, a partner that's incredibly excited about the RCT or otherwise. Um, but we do need to understand more and more about um, the good practices of how we work successfully with local church partners in monitoring and evaluation, in other learning work in general, um, so that we're not just saying that there's um, this demand driven from the US, from donors, etc., about what that work looks like. And this is all part of this story of localizing evidence. So what kind of evidence do we need? And the question is, where does that evidence matter and who is it mattering to? 
Um, so um, what are the needs of local church partners as opposed to all other local actors? So, you know, for example, within um, localization research, there's going to be a lot of discussion about how to do research with um, um, local actors in general and what makes it different, different to work with a local church, for example. Um, what do they want to learn? Um, and this means that um, I'm bringing up this term instrumentalization that we heard about before. Um, and um, I know Michael mentioned instrumentalization versus um, intentionalism, I think. Um, so um, again, it's of course about having the good um, intentions, but the intentions not to instrumentalize. Um, so seeing that the research needs are over a longer time frame, as um, Michael is also um, already bringing up, in um, a truly participatory process, you know, not having the problems of participatory exclusion, which I can talk about a bit more, but you know, other um, um, issues that might come up with participation and a capacity exchange or sharing kind of mentality versus um, the mentality of capacity building where it's just this one-way approach of we need um, the local church partners to be able to build their capacity to do research in these certain ways. Um, you know, how have they been doing learning already? Uh, that might be something that we haven't considered asking as much. Um, one thing that we're working on um, in the JLI is bringing together um, a meal, we're calling it meal at the moment, I, that might change, um, the um, Monitoring, Evaluation, Accountability and Learning Working Group. Um, now this has come out of various different conversations um, and I know that um, there's many people, for example, well say so the fact that all of you have been working for many years on the spiritual metrics, we don't want to um, um, duplicate existing efforts essentially. But the question that's coming up instead is how can we gather good practices and experiences from all um, the information that's in the room, the different faith-based organizations that are here, for example, about working with um, LFAs, lo is local faith actors, sorry for too many acronyms there, um, um, with local faith actors, with our local church partners, um, and what is meaningful um, for them in doing research, and how that can also be meaningful for us, and how can we find that balance, you know, make sure that the rebalancing happens between those tensions that I set up before. Um, so um, I think that overall this is the beginning of a conversation. We've only had two meetings of this working group, um, and so we're going to hopefully be moving forward um, with this um, over the next year or so, for example. Um, but just to say that this is something that we've seen across faith-based organizations and secular organizations. So we're also um, working on a project with um, UNICEF at the moment, which um, was one of the reasons that we thought of this idea as well. Um, their big issue is that they all have faith, you know, faith partners around the world. All their different country offices work with the Interreligious Council, say, or another equivalent. Um, but they're extraordinarily bad at having any monitoring data on that and certainly no evaluations as well. I mean, the, the commonest thing you'd see is um, a knowledge, attitudes and practices survey um, that's done at the beginning um, of a programme and then it kind of peters out from then on. Um, and so the question is, is that, and, and a lot of the time that's because there have been um, bad relationships formed around the fact that it's very um, extractive, top-down, like a heavy load around the monitoring evaluation. And there's not this balancing between how do we think in a less instrumentalizing fashion um, in order to make sure that um, we can um, actually um, 
you know, even progress at the very basic level of starting doing a monitoring and evaluation with faith partners. Um, because they often don't even get over that barrier because there's so much um, um, in terms of the demands and the um, um, kind of negative perceptions that go on around the, the weight of doing monitoring evaluation on local partners. Um, so then the last area, the third area, is the research communications part. Um, because I got to thinking, you know, the other way that we can answer the question what evidence or what kind of evidence um, is what we've just been talking about. It's the evidence that speaks for and with people. So in terms of speaking with people, the people that we are trying to help in, in our work, um, that leads back to a lot of the stuff that I've just been talking about in the localizing um, evidence part. But in terms of speaking um, for people, um, um, the first part that we have to think about is that our communication should be based on research. Um, there should not be this rush to advocacy without the research, without the evidence behind it. Um, and that was the very reason for JLI in many ways. Um, there's a good article that I recommend um, by Jill Olivier um, in the Theological Studies Journal called um, Hoist by Our Own Petard, Backing Slowly Out of Religion and Development Advocacy. Um, and that her whole area of thought around that is that it's not being backed up by the evidence sufficiently. Um, so first of all, we want to ground the communications in the research piece. Um, but secondly, we need to make sure that the research is speaking into and making the most of the various other different conversations that are happening um, within policy, but within various other circles that we want to influence. Policy is not the only one. Um, I have, um, again, I'm just citing someone because this is not my, um, I, this is what I wanted to say, but someone else said it better, so I've taken their words. Um, Ruth Main from Oxfam, who's in their, um, in their um, policy and practice department. Um, so you can see here, understand how a political system and policy making works and speak into that. Test, iterate, adapt to um, change context. So how you make sure that your research is, um, you know, you don't necessarily know immediately that it's going to work. And, and Michael was talking about this as well. Um, um, take advantage of windows of opportunity, I think is the best thing. So we're not necessarily, you know, you can't plan it that you're going to do this big research project that's leading up to the fact in three years time there's going to be this big policy conversation and you're going to have the research exactly ready to go. We have to be quite adaptive with how we're looking at the research. And one of the things that we've done, um, again, uh, the convening space of the JLI has tried to work on this. Um, is to make sure that we've been able to um, bring lots of different ideas together so that when that policy moment or some other moment does come up, um, we can bring lots of people together and say, like, what do we know about this question? How can we speak into this right now um, from what we know already, rather than setting up research a long time beforehand? Um, and engaging relevant stakeholders. Um, um, and I think the, the point here is engaging again, the localizing part, engaging local faith actors from the beginning of the research process rather than just feeding back to them at the end of the research process or being extractive um, um, during the research process. Um, that is um, a slide of some research projects we've done, but I'm nearing the end of my time, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, so then the final question is, you know, what's happening in trends across different sectors and what's specific for faith-based organizations? 
So trends like localization or something that, that's come up recently is the triple nexus. It's very jargony, but essentially working across humanitarian development and peace areas. These are areas where I feel that um, faith-based organizations, local faith actors have been working for years in these areas. And yet there's a lot of conversation um, within certain circles, like these are brand new concepts that have never really happened before and can never really happen before again. Um, and um, you know, you sometimes just want to scream like, I know this example of this local faith actor that demonstrates the triple nexus in all these ways. It's not this um, um, highfalutin concept that we can never get to. Um, so there's that, how do we speak into those areas? And that's part of the research communications part. Another area is trends within the faith-based organizations that we should be reaching out to others to help the non-faith-based audiences with. So, um, it's got very small, that picture, but it's the picture at the bottom, which is um, a new guide of faith-sensitive psychosocial um, um, guidelines. So it's within the, the um, um, kind of humanitarian industry standards psychosocial guidelines, and they've just asked uh, for a faith-sensitive version of that that has been produced in this guide. Um, it was with um, Lutheran World Federation and Islamic Relief came together jointly to produce that, for example. And so that's where, a way that we can speak into all these guides that exist already within the humanitarian development world by saying, um, what's the question and how can we um, help them to be faith sensitive? And what does that look like? And this is just an initial um, iteration of this process that we're trying and we'll see um, what else we can do. And then some other interesting things that have come up are these historical accounts of faith-based organizations. Um, and um, I know that these are, these are not necessarily official. Um, they're kind of unofficial accounts to some um, element. But, but what's been really interesting about looking back at the history of the development of faith-based organizations is it starts to break down maybe the confusion that some people have about different faith-based organizations, their backgrounds, say from a secular perspective, but um, also helps us break down a little bit of this us versus them idea um, about faith and secular divides that I mentioned earlier on as a tension, um, to show that these are the ways that we think about um, um, the different influences um, on our organizations, just in the ways that any organization thinks about the influences on their organization. So the histories um, of faith-based organizations is an interesting way to do that, and I see that as a little bit of a trend at the moment that's happening in the religion and development research. So overall, um, the main points are to take away are um, diversifying the methods and um, geographies, um, localizing the evidence and what does that mean, and then um, how we communicate the evidence um, and to who and when. Um, and then, of course, um, I wouldn't be done without a little plug, but those are the areas that we want to help in with the JLI, but also um, the Research Alliance um, and various others are also doing that as well. Um, so that's all. Thank you very much.